Hello you lovely people out there. Welcome to the 10th episode of Rise Up Teens. And today I have a very special guest. She's Amrita Hossein. And Amrita doesn't just want to fill up the financial gap. She wants to educate the next gen of teens or millennials we call ourselves on financial literacy and why it's important. Today we have Amrita with us who's going to take us behind why it's such a big issue today that we need to know about financial literacy. Amrita, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to get to speak with you today. Amita, one of the things I found about you is that your background as an Iran. Uh, could you explain more about your background? Yes, for sure. So um, I'm Iranian Canadian and I spent a big part of my life living in Iran before I moved oh. to Canada. Um, in the middle of my high school career, but I was also here um, in elementary school. So I was in Iran, um, like at the beginning, and then I came to Canada from grades three to six, and then I went back to Iran and I came back in grade 10. And I'm currently um, entering grade 12, and I currently live in Canada. Which is amazing. You have, a, you have a mixture of cultural diversity from both countries. One of the main issue is that in any Arabic country, most women aren't given the opportunity to rise up or start their own venture. You being an Iranian could be a very big inspiration for many. What are the difficulties that you tackled when starting your venture? Um, yeah, for sure. So I think the biggest thing that uh, I found difficult when I started out everything, especially with my organization, Empower Econ, um, was that it was my first experience in leadership um, and managing a team. Because the first thing that I did is I published my book and that was an independent project. But going into that space where I'm managing people from a lot of different time zones and working with people from a lot of different different styles um, was definitely a challenge. And so I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of other high school entrepreneurs who had started their own initiatives or organizations to kind of learn more about their experience with leadership, the tips that they had. And I also um, read a lot of articles, listened to podcasts and over time from having that knowledge, I had a baseline understanding and going into the situations and dealing with like um, different aspects of running an organization, I was able to learn in the process and I'm still learning, um, but it's been a journey that I've been able to come quite far in. It's amazing that you're still learning from people who are entrepreneurs before you. Um, when I want to ask this question, and I know that many people have asked you, but why I still get this question that many of you today have iPhones or mobile phones, which we can access information of financial literacy. But at the same time, we don't have to learn it. Why is that? I think that there are a lot of different factors that come into play. I think one that a lot of high school students don't have exposure to financial education is because a lot of te uh, teachers don't have training to be teaching the subjects. I do know some organizations that are dedicated towards providing that professional training. And so a lot of districts don't know from where to start or how to deliver this education. And I feel like um, it's something that kind of gets placed on the back burner because everyone's talking about studying the core subjects because it's academic and like science teaches you research skills in some ways, English teaches you writing skills, math teaches you critical thinking in some ways. And these are the core academic subjects that people think about. But when they think about finance, they don't really see it as something that maybe people could like 
benefit from, at least that's how the education system sometimes approaches it. However, I do see um, that there has been a lot of progress that's being made in this um, position. For instance, in Canada, they recently introduced the um, addition of a finance curriculum to the math curriculum in grade nine. So anyone who comes into grade nine in Ontario, um, my province is able to learn financial literacy alongside that curriculum. But I feel like there still is the need for it to make this more accessible at like an elementary level, um, maybe a middle school to develop those financial habits over time. And I think that it doesn't get as much attention as it needs to because some people may not find it as important or they just don't know where to start from. Hmm. One of the main issue, um, and to be honest, I would say Canada is making great, great progress in it. I've researched it itself in many universities in Canada say that you need to have maths and as well accounting for it, which is a very good progress, I would say, in some scenarios. But again, comes back to the main issue is that many parents are loan as we say in debt we don't know about it and there's a concept here is that getting out of debt is the good perception but once you get it dabble into finance you find that debt can be used in a good way how can we overcome this type of barrier that we have about debt and finance in general yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of things in finance can sometimes get this reputation, for instance, also with like credit cards, people sometimes think credit cards should be avoided, they're bad things, same thing with debt, as you said. And I think the more people learn about it, and they're able to gain exposure to this knowledge, the more educated they become and the more likely they're able to make financial decisions. Because when you don't know about something, it seems scary or you're intimidated by it. And as a result, naturally you wanna steer away from it. You don't trust it. But the more you gain that education on it and you become familiar with it, you're more likely to pursue it. And so one thing, um, with debt is the more people learn about the different aspects of debt, how to be responsible when it comes to, for instance, like student loan debt and deciding how much debt you want to go under, how that relates to what you're studying and the institution that you're attending, or thinking about how maybe mortgages can be used to actually help you make more money in the long run by investing your money elsewhere instead of buying a home by like a full price. The more people learn about these topics, they're able to make better decisions. But if they don't have that initial exposure to it, it's much more difficult difficult to be convincing them that like, oh, debt isn't always bad. So I think the first step would be providing that education and having people have that preliminary understanding. And after that, they're able to make a lot of better decisions. You said preliminary understanding. Why don't school take up this uh, main issue of financial literacy? Because I am a student myself and mm -hmm. I wanted to take economics, but a lot of schools do not provide economics. I got to learn economics and it is quite a vast subject when it comes to the matter. Why don't many schools offer it in general when they know it's something that they have to go in life? Students will have to face these things. Yeah, that's actually a good question. And I always like think about this as well. And I personally also haven't been able to take like economics classes at my own school because they don't offer it as part of the program that I'm in. Um, so I think that the reason sometimes they don't provide it, and this is based on the interest that I've seen in my own community and in my own environment, is that a lot of times people want to go into these traditional paths of like doctor, lawyer, engineer, and those don't always necessarily directly involve um, financial literacy, economics, and as a result, there's a smaller demand for it because people sometimes don't see um, a career for themselves in it. So I think um, kind of bringing this in as a subject that doesn't have to lead to a career, but something that's a life skill and looking at it as like 
a necessary piece of information that you need to have about like different topics is really important. So changing the way that people approach it. But that is definitely a good question that I still like think about, like, why is there um, not that access when a lot of schools offer like a lot of different classes um, that have nothing to do with like academics? They have a lot of electives, but still economics and finance is left out. Um I've recently graduated from college and right now I'm learning how to do my own taxes, which I have not been able to learn as an accounting student. But thank God I'm an accounting student, which actually helps me in general. But for kids who aren't, who are going to uni in general, they're not learning these stuff. How can we add simple taxes or tax filing into it? It's not so hard for curriculum or for school to just get this subject in. But why still they don't add, add these life important lessons to us? Yeah, for sure. I think that incorporating it into a math curriculum, for instance, like how Ontario has done it is definitely a really great step because people are still learning math, but they're not just learning math in a theoretical way, but they're like applying it to the real world. And one aspect of that is finance. So I think showing um, institutions that for instance, when you learn math, there are like real life applications of it in a lot of different fields. And one of them can be finance. It's definitely really important. Um, but I think it comes down to a lot of different factors from maybe teachers not having adequate training to um, it not being part of like a school's budget. I feel like especially with public schools, that is the case and a lot of other institutions. And so I think it's really important to be able to consider it from that sort of perspective and be able to um, think about how these different elements come together to be able to provide this education and making people realize that this is not something that's an option. It's something that people are going to need in their lives. That's really, that's really great in-depth insight. Did you actually study about uh, human psychology in general when you're talking? I'm interested in human psychology. Um, so I'm interested in like human psychology and like financial psychology in general, um, because I feel like an important part of finance is like dependent on those habits that you have and the way that you think about it. Because if you know about like credit cards and loans and debt and all of that, but you're not actually able to apply it in your life and make financial decisions, um, it doesn't do as much for you. So you need to be able to have that knowledge and be able to make important decisions. And so part of it is having the knowledge, but the other part is having the skills. And that comes from the psychology aspect and building those habits and learning more about it in terms of your behavior. And I think that's when it trickles down to a lot of different parts of your life. So it's not just about finance, but it's about how you manage your time, how you think about your life, how you set goals. So that's why I think like financial literacy can really impact people's lives beyond their wallets it can really be um the quality of their lives as a like whole to be fair and honest what you're trying to say is that you're trying to focus on uh, emotional intelligence rather than iq in general which is really amazing but if i'm being honest with you most kids are very blessed today because their parents have a lot of stuff they provide for them and all one of the things about me and uh, me in general is that we are we don't have enough finance, but my mother does budget, which actually helps me to do budgeting. Do you think that with parents uh, not giving this free attitude, um, like I give you this money, I loan you this money, you have to pay me back, will teach them a good lesson in general? I think that it can definitely, but I feel like it should be focused more on 
um, like the education aspect, as opposed to saying, if you like, if I pay something for you, you have to give it back because at the end of the day, parents are like providing for their kids and such, but really teaching them those skills from a very young age. I feel like when they're uh, in elementary school, teaching them about budgeting, giving them an allowance and telling them to like, this is how you should spend it. So as opposed to like buying something for them and saying, now you have to pay me back, giving them a set amount of money and saying, okay, this is how you can spend it. This is how you can divide it. You can save it or you can spend it right now. And really giving them the money and helping them think about it in that way um, is definitely important. And I, um, now that you bring that up, one thing I do want to mention is this education is also not received in a lot of households because maybe parents don't want to talk about money with their kids or something that can be um, a taboo topic for some and because of that that makes it even more important to provide this education to bring it into schools because sometimes parents don't talk about it with their kids or they don't see it as something um, that's important for a young person to know uh, to be honest i've been lucky enough to be living in an asian background and you yourself are from uh, the asian itself mm -hmm. um, one of the household's nature is that they don't talk about finance but here my mother because she knows me. She says, "The son, you gotta learn finance. If you do not learn finance, you're gonna get kicked in the ass." I've learned a lot, and it is not. Uh, it's very hard. Sometimes it is very hard to do budgeting and finance in general. Why do you think? Why do you think the Arab, the Arab countries and Asian countries in general have this perspective that do not tell about finance? They learn on their own, etc. Why? Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I always think about that as well, because I feel like in general in like Asia and like those countries, there definitely is um, this like taboo around a lot of different topics that you talk about. And one of them is definitely finance. And I feel like um, it kind of stems from this fact that I feel like a lot of people in Asian countries are not very independent because that's not how they've been grown up to be. They're typically dependent on their parents, whether that be living with them until they're married or um, a lot of these different factors. And because there's that lack of independence, um, one aspect of independence is being able to manage your own money. And when there isn't this idea that independence is important in these countries, people are also not likely to think that it's important to teach young people about finance because they say, okay, the parents can do it anywhere. It isn't something that um, these people should learn about. And another aspect is I feel like they can sometimes say like, you need to focus on your studies as opposed to like thinking about money um, and just these different factors that come into play. To be honest, you said, you said that word line, it touched my heart. Focus on your studies, forget about these things. It touched my heart. Um, <laughs> I, I found that, um, as you know, I've also started a business once before all this stuff. And to be frank, my audience, it is not hard to start a business. You can start today a business at zero cost. And I did it and I learned the basic thing about here was about how to market yourself. And mm -hmm. which was actually hard. First time experience hard. How would you teach students like us or entrepreneurs or give them give us advice to like market ourselves outside there? How would you how would we do that? Yeah, that's definitely a really important aspect. Like marketing, I feel like is probably I always say this, like 80% of what I do is marketing and 20% is actually creating because if you write a book or host an event and there's no audience, that doesn't do much. Um, so I think that 
one of the biggest things is just being able to create, first of all, a brand for yourself to be able to describe what you do and what your work is centered around. So for me, um, it's become financial and economic education. It's kind of what people know me for because that's just, um, mo I spend like maybe 90% of my time working on that when it is my extracurricular activities. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it is an important aspect. But I think that um, being able to create that brand can give you something that you can use to be able to portray when talking with other people um, and just marketing yourself. And I think another aspect is just public speaking and putting yourself out there in general. So I think those are important aspects. To be fair, Amrita, today's marketing is quite um, hard in general. If you go on Instagram as well, it's quite hard. You see a lot of designers, a lot of people who do these things. And if you're going on a platform, you need to learn creative designing first, stunning pictures and how to do it and how to actually entice people towards your product. What is the step that Empowered Econ has taken that which can be applied to for many generations of millennials to learn from? Um, do you mean like specific skills to apply or like yeah, specific skills to apply? So I think as for the specific skills to apply, it really comes down to be able being able to like develop your skill sets in a lot of different areas. I think one is really important. That's like public speaking, because it's not like what you're doing, but the way that you talk about it, because if let's say you want to start an organization and you want to bring people on board, there are tons of organizations that are being created by high school students and just people every day. Um, and because of this huge like concentration, it's a very saturated environment. And so you really want to convince people that this is something I truly have a passion for. This is something that's going to become really big. I have a big vision for it. And this is something that I really want to execute. And if you um, exude that, that passion and you demonstrate that you're really dedicated to what you do um, people are much more likely to join you than like other organizations or they're much more likely to want to come along on your mission um, and as a personal example um, when i was starting empower econ which is my organization i was reaching out to a lot of high school students who already knew me for my finance work especially because i had spoken at a lot of workshops and they had messaged me they said um, i'm really interested in what you're doing and i'd love to work on future finance projects with you if you start any and so i knew those people and i went back to them and i said hey do you want to participate in this so i think having those people who believe in your mission will really help you not only bring more people on to work with you but also people who want to give you more opportunities to continue what you're doing and further that impact so I think that public speaking and being able to really um, be persuasive with that and be able to really um, concentrate and focus on your genuine passion and drive for what you do is really important. So that is one aspect of it. And another skill that I would say is important is like writing skills, being able to write in an effective manner, um, whether that be like um, being able to like write essays or just anything, because I feel like writing is really important. Like on LinkedIn, a lot of people write a lot of great content um, that has helped them build that like big audience. And so those would be like communication skills that I would say. Um, another one is like effective leadership and being able to inspire other people with what you do and being personable because a lot of times we talk about our successes and everything that we accomplish and all of that, but being able to also bring to light like things that you're not good at, things that you fail at, things that you get rejected from will make you more human in the eyes of people and that will make you more appealing and more people would be interested in what you do, I guess. So yeah, those skills are what I kind of focus on and I'm interested in. I'm actually proud that you said those two things. They're really important. Yeah, I'm actually actually learning how to write great emails. I'm not good at writing emails. Sorry, I'm not really good at writing. Admit that. 
The next part is like you said LinkedIn, and when people hear LinkedIn, they say that oh, 40 to 50 year old people are on LinkedIn, but like kids now, teenagers are on LinkedIn. How does that make you feel? Like you're one of the biggies. You're wearing those big shoes. You're coming to LinkedIn. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. Honestly, I would say LinkedIn is probably the platform to go to. I got it very early on in my projects. And I would say if I did not have LinkedIn, my work would not have gotten nearly as far because I've met a lot of like-minded people that I've been able to start amazing projects with. Those projects have propelled my other projects. I've met amazing people that I've just gotten to become friends with. And all of those connections, I think networking, as we always say, is very important when you're an entrepreneur doing these big things because you need to meet people who are better than you, who are going to help you grow. You need to meet people that you want to work with. Um, so I think that LinkedIn is definitely really important. And I, most of my friends don't have LinkedIn. And even if they do, they don't really use it. They don't know how to use it because I feel like right now it's not something that's marketed towards teenagers. But based on my experience, I've seen a lot of teenagers on the platform. I've met a lot of teenagers on the platform. So I definitely think it is something that's growing and I do foresee it becoming much bigger maybe in the coming years with it being more saturated with high school students. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely something that's really important and more high school students should look at because if they want to get involved in basically anything they're interested in, they can probably find someone on LinkedIn that's doing what they want to do. To be honest, and fair, I when I messaged you once, I was not thinking that you would reply to me very fast, but you replied to me very fast that day. And I found that LinkedIn isn't that hard to do it. It's quite easy to use. It's a simple message and you need to write a persuasive answer. Don't be vague. Don't be vague. One of the main questions we do is that be teenager, you're like, I'm vague, I'm like that. Don't be, be to the point and ask them, would you be willing to, in a kind way, and they most probably will reply back to you. A good tip, keep that in mind. Yeah, that's definitely true. I agree with that. Sometimes I do get these messages from people who want me to like join their organization and whatever, and they're sending me like a very long message. And it's very obvious that they've sent it to like a hundred other people and I don't respond. Um, so yeah, don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, I think LinkedIn is a really great platform. I've also found that your your like entire sorry research you know all I found that you wrote a book the roadmap to financial literacy an introduction for teenagers and from the first few sample pages I'm sorry audience I could not get the book and introspect it because it takes one week for Amazon to get here and mm -hmm. I swear I read the few pages and I'm really impressed that how can a teenager write such in depth material I even read the financial literacy book myself, a closer look into the inner pocket, and even I cannot write this much. How did you make it so simple and so detailed? How? I think, <laughs> thank you, first of all. I'm glad to hear you like the book so far. Um, and I think like it took a long time or it didn't really take a long time. I started in April, 2020 and I finished in September, 2020. And during that process, I wrote and rewrote it several times. So it definitely did not start out like that. And kind of how I went about the book writing process, I started a Google document and I started to write down about a lot of different topics. I know the first topic that I wrote about was credit cards. And um, from there, I started to like research what topics are teens interested in learning about. I messaged a lot of teens and said like, what do you want to learn? about if you were reading a book about finance what are like the top five topics you'd want to learn um and from understanding that i was able to kind of narrow down that list and i started to write on the google document 
And then when I actually started to design the book with like the actual pages and I put in the graphics and everything, um, I cut down the content and I really thought about my entire goal was that it wouldn't just become a fact book, but would be able to somewhat tell a story in a way, um, which is why I incorporated a lot of like um, examples and graphics. And for instance, one of the chapters that I personally really like is about mortgages. And I take the reader step by step through the process of getting a mortgage. And so that was something that I kind of wanted to put the reader in the shoes of someone who's about to apply for a mortgage and giving them a very um, like simplified, but like holistic description of how that process looks. Um, so I think my goal was really to be able to make the readers engaged. And with that goal came thinking about how can I best do this? I had a lot of ideas. I, at first it was a much, but I didn't want to make it a long book, which is why I'm considering maybe like writing a second book in a year or something. But for now, um, that's kind of how I approached it. And that is what I ended up becoming. First of all, your book can remind me of Robert Kiyosaki's book of Rich Dad Poor Dad, where he explains a house is not an asset, it's a liability. And second of all, those graphs do make sense, a lot sense. Better than my accounting teacher explaining me in school. I'm actually saying this on live. Actually makes sense. Wow. It does. The topic of a the topic about mortgages, I found that very interesting from you. And coming from me, I especially say real estate is a good investment, but it's also the devil if you do not have knowledge about it. Have extensive knowledge about real estate because you, when you get into it, you get into the concept of debt, liabilities, and a lot of things about NOI, you do not know anything. And there's some concept where people get confused as infinite returns. It's not, it's not hard, it's simple, but it involves a lot of critical thinking. Did you yeah. get into infinite returns? Did you know about this stuff when researching these? I, didn't, I did not include that in the book because it's not a part of like the Canadian system because that's what I'm focused on. Um, So no, but for me, it included um, like first they want to check and see if you're like eligible for receiving a mortgage and so what they do is they look at like your credit report they look at your income they look at the other debt that you're in and they calculate many ratios like loan to value ratio um, and they like want to look at how much money you have and whether after you receive your mortgage you're able to incorporate that into um, your monthly budget with like other debt that you may be in the rent, rent that you have to pay um, other things that you're paying for like utilities and your like necessities um, and they really want to be able to understand if you're able to pay that money and there's also concepts such as getting a pre-approval before you actually go forward um, to purchase a home so these are all the different factors that I covered in my book with like different examples. To be honest I've actually uh, found out your book was actually you know you did a workshop where you were explaining your book in general I watched that video and it was about credit cards and loans. It was super mm -hmm. fascinating and actually it gave me a good insight of what her book is. I linked that video down. Do watch it because she explains in very detail and you will actually learn quite a lot. Yeah, I think that was a video from a really long time ago, like last year. Hey, it's still relevant today. I'm just saying, <laughs> you just explained great. Yeah, thank you for enjoying the video. Glad to hear that. I found I found you very down to earth and very humble. And to be honest, if you I don't think you remembered me, but I've actually worked with you once. Wow, really? When? Wait, was it in School of Future? That's where I feel like you found me. Because I know you interviewed the founder of School of Future. Actually, so. it was before that. 
I actually worked with you on an ad that we were creating. You sent me your email and I created that Instagram ad. Oh, are you the same person? Oh my God, I did not know that. Wow, yeah, I only talked with you once and then I was actually thinking about you the other day because I saw a design and it looks similar to that. And I was like, oh wow, I've never heard from this person again, but yeah, oh my God, never knew. I've actually worked as an ambassador and to be honest, I was, in, I was going inside her organization to see how she connects with people. And to be honest, She's very, very connected people. She's too connected, very connected. And I found one of the things that your people, volunteers are inside there are really happy. I've been to organizations and people normally die. The group, the group chat normally dies, but that chat was going, blowing up every second. How do you do that? How? I think that, wow, okay, that makes me really happy to hear because that's something that I care a lot about. Like, I really want people to enjoy their time working for our organization and being able to really grow as a person too. Like, I know people who've come to the organization with goals to like learn more about finance or develop the, their skills. And I really hope that they're able to do that at their time at our organization. Um, so I think that for me, I have a lot of excitement for these projects that I'm doing. I love like waking up in the morning to like work on them and just doing anything like related to empowerment econ, finance. Um, and so I think having that passion and bringing it into the team is definitely important. And I think it's also our members. Like we have amazing members at the team um, who have helped like the organization grow tremendously during this past year. So I think um, I'm very fortunate to have such like enthusiastic people who really believe in our mission and want to make a valuable contribution. So yeah, um, shout out to our team. <laughs> To be honest, I've been, I've been an ambassador, I've been to this session and it's interesting. Number one of the session is the guest speakers is speaking and they're actually, it's a session where you, you, you think that these people are very high up and they won't actually respond to you, but they respond to your messages. It kind of feels a satisfying way. Ah, very satisfying. I got to talk with one of the guest speakers in it in your third session. He was about mental health and he was explaining his story and everything. And it, and he did a tech talk. I will link his video as well. Down oh, is it JD Schramm? Yes. Yeah, I love JD. He's amazing. I'll link his video down. And he was an amazing speaker. He answered amazing questions. Next one was from Next Gen Podcast, a person mm -hmm. from it. And I, I'm really surprised. How do you get these people coming up in the set? I find it difficult to contact people. I'm scared of contacting <laughs> them. You're brave. How do you do that? People go Yeah, it's. Yeah, I think it definitely takes an element of courage because you're putting yourself outside of your comfort zone. And I really did struggle with that at the beginning, um, reaching out to people who like, I am like so much younger than, and I don't like, we don't have any connection um, and emailing them, asking them for things, which is basically what I've done during this past year is emailing adults, asking them for their time and resources and energy and hoping that they respond. And I think that one thing that I've learned, and this is something that I also incorporate into my life is everyone starts out from somewhere. And because when they were younger, people have definitely probably helped them. They want to be able to pay that forward. And if you reach out to people, they're definitely always really willing to help you. If they're not able to help you, they want to refer you to someone else. And that desire to help people succeed um, in what they're doing, I think is something that's very visible among all the people that I've reached out to because they, um, They've sometimes put me in touch with other organizations, like for instance, J.D. Schramm, after I reached out to him, he said that there is another student-run organization who does work in economics and he connected us together. Um, because they have this desire to learn um, and help other people, I think that really makes them very like personable and just like, um, 
we are able to reach out to them without feeling like scared about it or feeling like they're going to reject um, their responses. And so that's something that I always do. Like whenever I get messages, I want to respond um, and I want to be able to help people because that is something that I think is quite important to do. I'm actually impressed that you actually seeing this stuff and which is really impressive. And one of the things I found from it that Economics International that you worked with to write the book, Adrian, was it? I, I don't know Adrian as, as as such, but from what I've heard from the Next Gen podcast about him and how you connected on LinkedIn, would you like explain your connection with other like industries, people in brief general tips that you can share with people? Yeah, for sure. So um, the person's name is Andrew. And what we did at Operation Economics is basically um, we started like a book drive. So I had already published my book and we were discussing ways that we could like work together to create a project. And so he said that he wanted to donate 300 copies of my book because that's part of what they're doing is they do book drives. And so we partnered together to um, start this book drive. And how I found out about him was basically through LinkedIn. Again, why LinkedIn is such a great platform. Um, but basically what I was doing during the process before publishing my book, I wanted people to proofread it because I wanted to hear like different insights and what people thought about the overall book. So I messaged Andrew on LinkedIn because I searched up like economics and his name popped up because of his organization. Um, he didn't actually end up reading my book because I didn't send it to him because I had like some other re readers, but we did stay in touch. And after I published it, we were able Able to work together on this project so it came from that initial linkedin message that i sent um and now he's a really really good friend of mine and he um we've both like helped each other a lot just in general and it all came from a linkedin connection it's quite surprising that everything came from a linkedin people linkedin is a thing please LinkedIn yeah linkedin amazing. incredible incredible i'm i'm surprised with everything i mean such for a high school student you've been you have just blown up on the internet and i'm not just saying in a in that way you're like for a high school student this is just big achievement as in general that what you're trying to achieve the financial literacy and everything i want to ask your vision where do you see yourself 10 to 15 years from now from now that is that's the question i want to ask that's a really good question i think that for me I have a lot of different like ambitions for what I want to potentially do with my life. So it can go in many directions. But one thing I'm really interested in is just being able to create things that add value to people's lives, which is a very like broad um, idea to lead with. But one field that I'm really interested in is entrepreneurship and creating opportunities, um, particularly in like education and different like nonprofit organizations. So kind of how I see myself in the next 10 years um, or 15 years is I definitely want to pursue um, a role as a leader in an industry that's able to like inspire other people um, to also want to take action. And I'm not sure which area that may go to. I may want to work in um, public policy and creating policies that just like improve the quality of people's lives. Or I want to go down the entrepreneurship path where I'm able to continue what I'm doing right now, but on a much larger scale, um, maybe creating something that's education as a whole. So. Um, incorporates like personal development, life skills, um, personal finance, um, but overall my goal is to work as a leader. To be honest, if I'm going to be saying this on life, I think you might become a politician one day. I'm just saying. Oh my God, really? That's actually my dream career, but I'm really scared of like committing to it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I dreamt of it too. I'm not going to say I was from a scientist to a politician to a chartered accountant. I have dreamt so many dreams. I did too.
But okay, out of curiosity, what makes you think I can become a politician? Like, I, I want to know. To be honest, your vision for financial literacy in general and how to train people and how to educate in general the populace and how to create policies is just boggles the mind. I think most high school students don't have it. And for a necessary trade for a politician is to actually think of create their policies, decisions, and make them, which is all of the things that you have. I think you might become one, certainly. Yeah, it's actually something that I'm definitely, definitely thinking of pursuing. It's kind of two things, either entrepreneurship or a politician. So we'll see which route I go down. I mean, you already you already completed the entrepreneur path in in a way, though because every entrepreneur has ever written a book in his life and started a successful venture. You already done those two things. <sighs> I wish I could, but who is to say? I've actually wanted to write a book in general about financial literacy, and a closer look into the inner pocket was one of the books I was trying to do it. It was explaining about how we came from the gold standard. Mm -hmm. Money back in the day was valued by gold and how did the gold standard was one of the most important crises? How is inflation going to be tackling with it? And I wanted to cover one thing about normal people is that inflation, inflation is one of the biggest issue here, people. Nobody knows about it. No parents know about it. Is that it? How should I say? In simple words, it rots your money away. So when people put their money in saving, they receive interest about, let's just say, 0.2% um, in the United States or something like that. They think you're earning good money, but they don't think that 10 to 15 years later, that money is worthless. How exactly. Educate that. Even my parents don't know about it. And when I save them, don't don't save, don't save. They said, no, save, save, save. I'm like, how should I train them? How should I tell them? Yeah, for sure. I think this is another reason why financial and economic education is so important. Um, I, I'm not sure if this is the term, but I know there's this word, I think it's called Fisher's hypothesis, which basically talks about how um, banks and institutions calculate the inflation rates that are going to take place over the next few years. And they add that on top of the interest rate that they're giving people um, to protect themselves from inflation. Because if they're lending something out with like 2% today and inflation grows at like 5%, that's not going to be beneficial to the bank. Um, so they protect themselves from that. However, people who put their money into these savings accounts, getting 1%, 2% a year, do not, they're not aware of that. And they don't realize that their money is not going to be able to grow in the way that they expect to in the next five, 10 years. And so I think providing this education um, is important because it helps people think critically about the world as opposed to looking at things at surface value, especially we've seen this with the pandemic and the economic impact that it's had. I think it just gives another really big example of why economic education is just so important for um, just like young people in general. To be honest, one of the other topics that economists tackle is bonds. If you do not know, a central bank issues bonds and it gives it to uh, the main, main banks in it. These are private limited banks. When those private limited banks actually have it, they call it reserves that they have. They, those reserves can be reissued to the government if they want for loans so they can generate funds for it. But another cool side about the banks is that they take your money they put your money inside and they said, you're not spending it, you're not giving it. But instead they take your money, give it to someone, they produce it, that's new money coming into the circular flow for economic students out there. You're gonna, you're gonna roast me if I don't say this, the circular flow. 
and this money is then traded into assets and investment and then they provide that back the bank takes certain portions of it and then give it to it to the saving account this is the process of how it works people and i don't know if it's a big issue but it is that you you're being scammed i'm just saying savings are being scammed i'm just saying so yeah, for, for sure. yeah definitely so for a doctor, so for a doctor who actually earns a million on his first paycheck remember how much you're paying in tax and remember an entrepreneur who's not paying anything in tax asian I, parents listening yeah some parents are going to be very pissed <laughs> to be i found that uh, another way that you can save and this is a general tip is that creating plcs or private corporates i think the famous example was for apple when they went to the himalayas and they created uh, the PLC company or sorts, mm -hmm. and they send that money to the company, which states that you spend first and you put your assets and then you get taxed. For us, it is like you get the money, you pay tax, and then you spend. It's like that, which a lot of companies do to save tax. They put miscellaneous things such as a Bugatti or some kind of a helicopter or trips, and, and they don't pay Uncle Sam that money back. Do you think, how can you like educate this side? Because I, when I was searching for it, I was thinking that, man, I could save a lot of tax money. Have you tried yeah. this technique? Yeah, I think that a lot of people who are typically rich and have access to resources do this. And I feel like it just creates a lot of like income inequality because I feel like the richest people are paying very little in taxes, right. but the people who are making a lot of money um, or are not making a lot of money are the ones who are paying all the taxes for things like public transportation and education, um, which is why there is this phrase that's always going around like tax the rich. Um, and so I think that it's really important to provide this education because kind of another idea to go off of this is um, based on what I've seen and the people that I've interacted with, people who come from wealthier backgrounds are already investing. They have this knowledge and they know how to use, how to manage their finances effectively. Whereas people who don't come from those backgrounds are much more likely not to have this education. Mm. Um, and so bringing it into schools is really important because that's where you're able to reach people from a lot of different backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and just like a lot of these different factors that you can't personally control and being able to like provide this education to all of these people. So I think this is a concept that needs to be taught to um, people who are not making as much money. So they're able to kind of like think about this as well, as opposed to it being some strategy that like the rich only use. To be honest, you, from your discussion and all, Robert Kiyosaki himself said that. Uh, it's like Robin Hood. Do you know the story of Robin Hood? Um, not, per, not the story, no. No, uh, Robin Hood was like a thief. He stole from the rich and gave it to the poor. So the poor in general was saying, tax the poor, uh, tax the rich, something like that. So the policymakers banded behind these guys or us salary people, and they made policies against us. So the rich at the end of the day, in his book, he says, won the battle. And we would kept saying that we have taxed the poor. We lost the battle. Oh, wow. And when I was hearing this, I was like, man, we've been played for fools. Wow. <laughs> wow. And in general, I think, leave this thing. Let's go into something really in general. Which books inspired you? Because in nature, when someone reads a book, it brings out the true nature. Let's ask you which book that you read. 
Yeah, so I think the biggest one, and this is what got me interested in finance, um, it's what was like my initial introduction, is this book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And I discovered this book in grade eight, like near the end of grade eight, I believe sometime then. Um, and I started reading it and I didn't know anything about like money at the time, but it was a really like intriguing title to me because I feel like growing up um, a lot of like young people are always talking about like millionaires and becoming rich and externalizing that and showing that you're rich. Um, so I read this book and one thing that was really interesting to me was that it wasn't about how to become rich and make a million dollars. It was about how to create your financial blueprint to success by changing the way that you think about money and your psychology and your habits and just kind of your overall approach to it. And reading that book was like really, um, like meaningful, I guess, to me, because after reading it, I felt like I had gained a lot in terms of not just like learning about money, but also um, psychology and personal development as a whole, which is another topic that I'm really interested in. And I feel like is an important part of finance, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so that was kind of what really got me interested in finance. Then continuing on from there, I watched a lot of YouTube channels. Like I love Graham Stephan, who is quite popular in the financial education, um, education space. Um, and I read like Investopedia and a lot of different like resources. I'm actually impressed that you actually said those those famous things because The Secret to a Millionaire is a good book and How to Think and Grow Rich is also good. For people mm -hmm. who don't have a big brain or, or like very bad at English or something like that, I recommend Rich Dad Poor Dad too because it teaches you some basic finance you need to learn from it. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad is great as well. Of course, as always. Have you read it? <laughs> yeah. Finally, someone who has read it. Yeah, Rich Dad Poor Dad is quite popular. There's also another one. Wait, is um, Think and Grow Rich is by Napoleon Hill, right? I've actually never, not read it, but many people have recommended it to me. I've, reached, I've written the Bobby Sasha Hersman's 59 Laws of Business from Kitchen to Startup, which is an introduction to business, how they market it, how they do things. And it's a really good read. It showed Ooh, I should read that. <laughs> it's really good read. It's like, they, you know, the Coffee Republic in UK is one of the biggest chains out there, right? They are the owners who wrote the book and they explain their strategy. It's not all about TV commercials and advertising. What they did was that they focused on the employee side of the things. If the employee can impress the customer at the end of the day, they're going to come back for that same experience and it worked for them. That was their, biggest, so that was their biggest marketing. And another thing I found from Starbucks is that, you know, Starbucks um, writes your names in a very uh, like wrong names why do they do that i i found from a TikTok video why do they do that and i've done my research on it i want to ask you i have no idea i just thought they miss here but there may be something behind it that you're thinking to be honest uh many people say starbucks do it on purpose many of the managers have said it due to this reason is because it plays with the human psychology when something comes out peculiar or outstanding or unique we normally take a snap or selfie of it and then uh, we like we go out and buy the product. Have you seen any Starbucks ads? Because I haven't seen Starbucks ads because we do oh, the yeah. marketing for them by like for example, we got a wrong name. I post that on Snap. You would be intrigued. Does Starbucks does it or oh, not? Yeah. You go and buy That's... it and then you do it. We do free oh. advertising for it. I found that That's from the TikTok so cool. video. And that takes a genius mindset. <laughs> it is the smartest and dumbest company who did it. And it's from a TikTok video who I was like, wait, do they do it? Let me research on it. And they do. And I was like, what? wow. 
That's literally so cool. Wait, now that you say that, I think about McDonald's. You know how they, they have this thing of the McDonald's like ice cream machine always being broken? <laughs> to be honest, McDonald's is a real estate company, not, and I say not a hamburger company. Watch the founder of the movie. It explains quite much more. Wow. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't seen it yet. Actually, I can explain the concept of it. Um, I've done my research on real estate, so I'm not a very professional, but I can say it. Um, so basically, Ray Kroc wanted to start his business. So he went to the Craig brothers who actually owned the McDonald's and they created the fast delivery system in the 90s. In the 90s, you would get your food serving wrong and in the car and gave, and he gave a bad vibe because of uh, gangsters and hipsters coming in. So to create a family-friendly environment, the Craig brothers, actually the McDonald brothers created a system where it delivers you food from the window easily and in seconds. Kroc found it interesting and went to an investor. And he told them that what you're dealing with is not the hamburger business, it's the real estate business. Because when you loan to franchises, the one thing the franchises do is that the property is of McDonald's, but they pay the rent as well and plus the franchisee free. So McDonald's earning two steady incomes plus the hamburger is not one of the incomes. The main income that they run from is from the rent of the franchisees that they get. And that's creates the triple income funnel from the hamburgers to the rent and to the franchisee fees. That's why McDonald's wow. is known as the richest franchise ever. That's how I got to learn. Wow. That's very interesting. I feel like, yeah, that's so cool because when you look at these companies on like the surface and you take a surface level approach, you're like burger company. But when you look at it from that way, that's very interesting. I'm going to check much, that documentary out. To be, to be honest, how much does McDonald's own its own shops? Actually, it's 1% of it or maybe nine, nine or one. Rest of it is leased out to franchises which generate income for them. It's a basic principles like McDonald's is outsourcing their own lands to generate income for them. And we are generating their income. If you think about it, it's a very big strategy because you put yeah. an infinite return and everything into it. And plus McDonald's is not getting taxed because the rent you earn is not taxable. Oh, wow. It's not taxable. So basically, yeah. whatever McDonald's earns, so if you pay a franchisee, that's taxable. If you pay sales, that's taxable. But one of McDonald's major earnings is his rent. Because rent is not taxable because it comes to you directly. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That, so that's, wow. That's how McDonald's plays the game. And that's why it succeeds. Its rent is number one. I learned that. That's very interesting. I think looking at these companies more and what, how they do what they do and how they become so rich is like a fascinating concept. Another example of how rich people avoid taxes. By the way, Ray Kroc was a salesman. He wasn't rich. And which goes to show people is that anybody can start up from anywhere. Just like Amrita did, she has two backgrounds, one from Iran and one from Canada, but she created her own persona for herself. The thing is you need to brand yourself out there and the main concept of it is what you're going to provide in value because a lot of people say this value terms and a lot of scammers i say say this we provide this value we provide this that's false so how do you as an entrepreneur and your business empower econ is trying to overcome this like scammers who are trying to say we provide value we provide value these stuff 
Yeah, I think that that's a good question because I think that that is something that's really prominent. So for us, it really comes from like we we are really like genuine about what we want to do and the mission that we have and the type of impact that we want to have. And um, that's kind of what's reflected in our mission statement. So when people attend our events, I always have like feedback forms and people at the end of the event fill that out and they provide like their comments, but what they like, what they didn't like. And from what I've read, like I can clearly see that people are really enjoying our events. And I see this because a lot of them sign up for future events. So if someone came um, for our winter camp then they sign up for the spring camp and that really shows that this is something that they're enjoying and they want to do and so i think being able to um clear um create that mission that you want to serve people and then actually demonstrating it and following through with that and being able to have that type of impact is really important and so with us that's something that's contributed to our growth is that we're not hosting a one-time event but it's something that we're continuing to do and if we want people to come back next time if they if we want them to come back every single day um, during one specific camp we need to be providing actual value that is um, appealing to them so I think that's something that I um, really consider and thinking about what we're doing in the long run um, as opposed to just one event it's something that we want to have people coming back we want to be make them excited about learning. And that comes from providing real tangible value that they can incorporate into their own lives. So far, what I've actually spoken from you is like, you have so much in-depth knowledge about it. And like, you're not given a platform to speak about it. I just think that this podcast can go on and on for five hours and people can actually learn something more valuable than reading it. But your book is so much valuable as well, because I've seen you pour in a lot of work in that book of yours. But we and millennials, I'm going to say again, we are lazy. We don't read a book. I have this book behind me and this was the first paperback book I ever got from my dad because I can't afford one. And when he gave it to me and I read it about Trump and his great luxurious buildings, it taught me that paperback is actually more interesting than ebooks in general. Which brings back me to the question is that your book is paperback, but millennials don't read paperback. How can you make teenagers read that? Have you considered audiobooks or actually creating a session like Kai Lopez? He actually created an app where the author of the book comes and explains what every content that he's doing. And you have to only pay about $7.5 to just watch it and you get in-depth research about it. Have you considered any of those options? That's a really good question because that's something that I really thought about when I was starting out with my book. That's why like I was initially like, should I write a book? Um, is it going to be able to actually create value? And that is a core thing that I led with throughout the process, um, which is why my focus was to make the books really short and also incorporate like a lot of graphics, make the text very concise and simple. And so um, if you go on like every page, there are a lot of pictures and um, it's like not content heavy because that is something that I found was like really important in capturing the um, attention of like a teenage audience or like millennials um, in general. So I think keeping that in mind, I haven't considered creating audiobooks or things like that just because of the fact that what we do with Empower Econ events is that our entire goal is to provide that financial literacy in a live um, presentation manner. So my book is a resource that I've created and people can buy that to read and they can like go back to it and gain that holistic understanding of the world of finance. Um, but if they want to explore each of the, these concepts in a presentation style um, while hearing from like a lot of guests, 
guest speakers and participating in activities, they can come to our events where they are able to see that live. And I do see that there is a connection between people who attend our events and people who later buy my book because after they've attended the event, they've um, been captured and their attention has been captured with their interest in the topics that we've covered and they want to take that education further by reading the book. So I think that connection between providing a resource but also providing a live experience um, has really helped my book be able to grow because um, like you said, people are lazy. They don't want to sit down and read a book. They want to like, um, they want the content delivered to them in the easiest way possible. And that often comes from listening to something or attending an event, um, which is what I've led with with Empower Econ. And so another thing is that since publishing my book, I've moved on from it to like new projects, such as what I do with Empower Econ now. And that's why I'm not so focused on um, expanding the reach of that anymore as I am with expanding the reach of Empower Econ because Empower Econ continues to provide um, more topics than those covered in my book. I have actually two questions left. Number one is that disabled people with, who cannot see, because your book is very visual content, and it's actually impressive, but for people who cannot see, how can you help them to get that information in? Was that yeah. the main issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely um, a really important topic to consider. And I think with that, it does come like providing audio alternatives. Um, one thing that we do provide with like Empower Econ um, is that we record all of our events. So if people want to um, listen to the event afterwards or watch the event, they can go to our YouTube channel and the whole event is just like posted there. Um, so for people who want to listen to that, um, like through audio, if they can't read um, or they have some form of disability, that's definitely available. But for me, that isn't a facet that I've really um, considered as much or thought about as much because the people um, that I'm targeting, I haven't seen that, but I think that's something really important to consider, um, especially when thinking about this long term. So I think, yeah, an audiobook with that would definitely help. Um, but then another thing is with my book, I feel like a big part of it does depend on its layout and structure, which is why I wanted to create like an online format of my book, but I didn't end up doing that because I felt like it would just like change the book entirely from what I intended it to be. So I feel like um, with providing education in a way that's like not written and you could listen to instead it could come from online content that is created to be honest if you actually want i can actually link you to one of tyler lopez's product is Luna's meta box and one of your main uh styles that you're trying to say it's visually graphic there you get to explain every content of it on a whiteboard and every chapter is explained so you can not only just see it you can also you know oh, that's awesome. presentation style as of it and i think i will link his product to you and i'll also link it into the podcast if people want to see it it's a very good thing for people who want to see it the second question i want to ask is that the final question what structure is your organization is because is it a non-profit or is it a profit organization what is it so I um are what we do is nonprofit. We don't um pay like we don't pay people to work with us and we also don't get money from people to work with us because um my entire goal is to make this education as accessible as possible and my book is already um like you need to buy that so this is free education that we provide. Um however, it's not registered as a 501c3 or like a nonprofit organization because I did not find the need to do that with online events. Um that's what we do. We run it, but if later on we want to carry out projects that require an extensive budget, such as if we want to host an online um, or an in-person event and we need to pay um, for like the environment and equipment and we need sponsors, then going that registered route is something that I would definitely consider. But for now, um, because I haven't seen the need for it, I haven't pursued that. 
be honest, if I'm gonna give you a, a good sneak, when I was actually being an ambassador and being providing this stuff to it, I sent it to my teacher and he didn't take it serious, but seriously. But when I sent it to people here, they were actually serious about learning things. And they asked me one question is that, am I being scammed or is this being free? I'm saying it is, it's a very good course. And when they came back and said, link me to this other course, I wanna go there. I wanna go there. So I was actually surprised and to be honest, that's a good feedback. It's from me. Oh, wow. So they attended our event and they were interested? They were actually interested. My school in general were inter interested people there. And a majority were science students, not commerce students, because commerce threshold is quite low. Science students were the ones who actually attended most. Oh, wow. That makes me so happy to hear because one thing we really want to do with our ambassadors, like if I'm sitting here in Canada, there's no way I'm able to reach your school. But when we get these ambassadors, they're able to bring it and um, have a local impact in their own community, um, especially as you say, like science students who wouldn't typically go on their own to like learn these topics. But now that you've brought them to this event, they're interested. Um, I think that's definitely a really big impact and a big step towards making change. So, yeah, that makes me really happy to hear. Side benefit, please, if any teacher or teacher is watching this, they said to me, our teachers teach us in a very boring fashion. Please do not take it as an offense. I'm just saying, they just said it. I'm just relaying the message. So, Amrita, we have in the podcast, we have a trivia questions, and we ask that question to our attorneys, and we also ask a quote. We want you to give uh, your opinion on it. So, this quote was from Dan Pierce, and he said, that show me your friends and I will show you your future. What is your say on it? Yeah, that is an awesome quote. I actually was thinking about something like that yesterday um, because I think that the people that you surround yourself with are who you end up becoming because for me, that has been really true. Like I've been surrounded by very like high achieving people during this past year. And that's always like pushed me to grow and want to do more. Um, as opposed to like maybe two years ago, I wasn't around those people. And so I'm in a different position now that I was two years ago. So I think that the people that you surround yourself with, their mindset, their behaviors, their goals, who they want to become really influences who you end up becoming. Because if you're around people who don't really have a vision for their life, they don't really want to do anything, they're kind of just like going through motions, you're not going to feel inclined to want to do that either. But if you're around people who are like excited about life and they want to create projects and they want to have a big impact, then naturally that's also what you're going to want to do with your life. So I think um, the people that you're around really do shape your identity. Okay, this next trivia question is that you have to answer fast. Which of these have you been featured in? And just start media, next gen, personal finance, and get involved foundation or book orators wait what was the first one <laughs> uh it's like yrdsb media yeah well i've been featured in all of those hey you answered my trick my trick question <laughs> okay the final final question is it is is there marion juliet she featured you in forbes but what is her startup? What does she do? What does she do as a business? Mary? Mary Joatin? Yes. Um, yeah, she does legal services with, um, she has this organ, or uh, she has a startup called Tracklight. And I believe they provide legal services to organizations related to intellectual property and such. I can't believe you answered all my questions right. How? How? <laughs> okay, I admit defeat.
in the end of the podcast, we have these three sayings and we say that stay home, be cool, stay home, stay safe and be cool. On the count of three, we both have to say it together. Stay home, stay safe and be cool. So are you ready? One, two, three. Stay home, be safe. Wait, (laughs) we could do it again. Let's go. Wait, stay safe. Stay home, be cool. And stay safe. Wait, say it again. <laughs> stay home, stay safe, and be cool. Okay. Stay home, stay, stay home. safe, and be cool. Okay. So now, so thank you, Amrita, actually for tuning into the podcast. It was really fun to talk with you and in general. I Do you have any final words that you want to say to the audience or what? in general um yeah so first of all thank you so much for having me on the podcast i really enjoyed speaking with you today it was quite fun um and i think as my last words um and i could say maybe like a piece of advice to other teens who want to start things or they want to pursue entrepreneurship i would say the biggest thing is don't be restricted by what you don't know how to do, but be uh, driven by the passion that you have and the desire that you have to learn. Because I feel like a lot of times people want to do things, but they say like, oh, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the skill set. I'm not good at it. But when you when you set a goal for yourself or you have a vision and it's really important to you and you really care about it, you're willing to get outside of your comfort zone and do things that are going to lead you to develop the skills to do it. And there is this quote that I really love, which is called build a dream and the dream will build you. And that is very true. I think it's literally so true. I live by it. And so that is my last piece of advice for any listeners. So my audience, I'll leave you with a question is that any dream can be built from your own house. You do not need to be a rich person or a poor person. And one of the philosophies my mother actually had was that if you were given a pencil and a paper, what would you do with it? And she said, if you can draw or write on it, you add value and you can exchange that value for something else. So think twice before next time when you say a pencil and paper is worthless because it can be very valuable, very valuable. That is very insightful. So until then, stay home, stay safe and be cool. And thank you, Amrita, for actually tuning into the podcast. I think people actually learned something very cool about finance. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until then, peace. Bye-bye.